You know, on Sunday nights we have 30 minutes of teaching and then we have uh, 30 minutes of prayer. When I was growing up in a church, a Baptist church, I think one Wednesday night a month was uh, prayer night. And they would hand out things like a prayer list or whatever, and then they would ask, anybody have a prayer request? Then they would also, um, are there any unspoken requests? You know, there are always unspoken requests. And, and I understand that some people, you know, some things they just don't want to broadcast to the world. We get that. Then we would begin to pray. And I don't know how long that would last, but I can remember those Wednesday nights. Um, what, what many of us did and what I did, I mean, we had pews like here. They were padded and so forth. But So many of us, uh, we actually got down on our knees at our pew and prayed. Now, <laughs> you got to remember our prayers were as sincere as we knew to make them. We, we didn't, um, well, when it came to healing, you know, Father, if it be thy will. And a lot of our prayers were basically um, prayed the way that we were kind of taught to pray, kind of vague. What I mean is, there were, we didn't really pray with a whole lot of authority. But yet I know that God heard and He moved as much as He could. And I know during our prayer times it was always very quiet. Well then, later on, ended up in, um, for several years, a church that was not affiliated with a denomination. You call it charismatic, if whatever you like. And uh, after that, was in a, a church of, of uh, it was a church of God headquartered out of Cleveland, Tennessee, which is a traditional Pentecostal church. And in those churches, especially in uh, the Church of God, I was exposed to a lot of, a lot of um, voluminous prayer, to where you know the people, man, they got with it, and it it really had an impact on me because. One of the things that I, I never prayed like that. You know, really, oh God, and, I mean, just really got with it. There's nothing wrong with that. But it seemed like some people believe that's the way you had to do it, or it didn't count. Now, what I'm getting at is this. There's nothing wrong with emphatic prayer from the heart. And there's also nothing wrong with, I don't know, less voluminous prayer. Nothing wrong with it. However, you sense to pray. Don't hold back. Because if God is moving on you, in a way, a manner of intercession, that is not going to be quiet. There may be a time of travailing. And I'm encouraging you to know you have the freedom to be led by the Spirit in your prayers. I can remember in our Baptist church, it was a Wednesday night, we're praying, and uh, there I am on my knees and 
at that time, I didn't do a whole lot of praying. I did a whole lot of wishing it was over. Just, <laughs> I was young, you know. I just, but, but I did. I did pray over some of these. Oh, God, do this, fix that, you know, whatever. But then one night, I remember this. There was a man, Winfred Fox. I mean, all of a sudden, we heard this, oh, oh, oh. And he got up from where he, by then everybody's going to be looking, you know. And he got up from where he was, and I mean, he just went to the altar in front of the church, fell down on his knees, crying out to God. This was in a Baptist church. To my knowledge, that man was never filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But he might have gotten filled with the Holy Ghost that night, just never spoke in tongues. I'm serious. I'm very serious. And from that time on, if you meet anybody who ever worked with him, they're going to tell you all he did was talk about Jesus. All he did was witness. All he did was tell people about being born again. I mean, he, that man was an evangelist. And I'll never forget that night. It made a very strong impression on me. And even at my young age, whatever that was, 10, 12, whatever at that time, 14, um, I knew he had had an encounter with God. Because you just didn't do things like that in a Baptist church. <laughs> but, and people knew him. He wasn't one of these kind of like weird people. He wasn't. He was a good man. Our prayer times here are not to be governed by the flesh. To be led by the Spirit. And I know that there are certain things you pray about, but let's face it, when you're praying in the natural, sometimes you kind of move through those prayers quickly. Then you spend the rest of the time praying in tongues. That's okay. For me, there have been times when Honestly, I've never sensed God moving on me in that in a in a loud way. But I remember one time in uh, the Pentecostal church, we had a men's prayer fellowship. We like every Monday night or whatever it was. I don't remember, but it wasn't really loud. Men tend to not be as loud as women. But there was one guy. Oh my goodness, buddy. He, I mean, from start to finish. Oh, oh, God, oh, and. He made a comment after one of those prayer times that this, this is the quietest Pentecostal prayer meeting I've ever been in. Well, nobody said anything to him. But I'm thinking, you don't really have to yell. I mean, God can kind of hear you. We want our prayer times to be from the heart. And what that means for you when you're here praying, that's what it means. And if you sense that there's ever a time that you need to get up from where you are and come up to this altar and pray, you do it. There's no condemnation. I mean, it, you have that liberty. And if you feel like that you just want to, where you are, get on your knees there and turn the pew into a, you know, a little altar, right? you, it's okay. You do that. Because we want to see God move. And He moves as a result of prayer. And that's why we're doing this on Sunday nights. And I, I know that in the future, there'll be other things that, that 
um, happen. What I mean is, you know, we, we, uh, on Sunday nights we went to 30 minutes teaching, 30 minutes prayer. Well, I don't know what changes are coming, but I know things will change. When it comes to going forward with God, uh, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 15. We're living in a really unique time. Because there is a, uh, a move throughout the world, a call to prayer, a call to holiness. Not everybody is going to pray the same way. And not everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet, in spite of the fact that they cannot pray in tongues, they're going to be praying the will of God. It'll be with the understanding but when you pray with the understanding according to the will of God, God listens and God moves. Sometimes we as uh, spirit-filled people tend to think that we've got the upper hand in prayer where the only advantage we have is the ability to pray in tongues. Beyond that, when it comes to praying with the understanding and praying in line with God's Word, anybody can do that. Any Christian can do that. But yet, what's happening in the church, and this is really interesting, in the body of Christ, what's taking place now is leading to a great move of the Holy Spirit. It, truth is, it has begun. And it will increase. How that is going to uh, manifest itself I really can't say, because this is a big planet, lots of countries, so on and so forth. But it's going to happen. How much media attention it's going to get, I don't know about that either. Because our media today is so unbelievably anti-Christ. It, it's sickening. It's horrible. Just, it's terrible. So I don't know that there's going to be much publicity. And you know what? I say, praise God, really. And I've shared this before. The less attention that we get, I just don't, right now, I don't feel too comfortable with having news crews out here in our parking lot. I, I'm just not. I would rather leave us alone. You know what? Just go report on the weather and the crime and all that. Leave us alone. Let us do our thing and let revival break out if you want to say something about it, you can. thing is, when it starts to happen, it's going to spread by word of mouth. And social media will be used by many people to get the word out that it's happening. Even though secular media may ignore it. But along with that, along with that, it's like we have two streams, well, two streams and a pond happening right now. The one stream is the one that we're in, if you will. And we're swimming toward revival with a whole lot of other churches, a lot of other Christians. Then you have the pond. The pond are the Christians who, they love God, they're serving Him, they're not all in sin and everything, but they kind of don't realize what's happening. This move of God, they kind of don't know, but they're, they're still they're doing their thing. They're not backsliders. They're, all right, that's the pond. 
Then the other stream is the deception that's rising up. Because Satan always wants to counter everything that God does. So as we are seeing this move of God take place, there's also a move of Satan that is taking place. And we've got to guard ourselves. Jesus warned about this there in Matthew 24. He said, the number one sign of my return is the increase of deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. That is, there are certain things in the Bible that to me stand out as being, you know, top shelf declarations of God. That is one. Take heed that no one deceive you. In other words, it's like God is saying, I have done and will continue to do everything I can to keep you from being deceived, but you have to take heed. You. And what that means is if we don't do what we can do to protect ourselves against it, then, like Jesus said, if it's, if it's possible for the very elect to be deceived, they're going to be deceived. You know, this past uh, weekend, they had this, um, this thing called Repent, or what was it called? Return. Return, return a major event in Washington, D.C., Thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands of people were there. Not just at the mall for the service, it was like, like 12 hours long, but then there was another group of thousands and thousands walking through Washington. It was a prayer walk. Well, there are a lot of people uh, throughout the day that took the stage. Many of them prayed, many of them exhorted. Uh, there were prophecies, there was praise and worship. Here's the thing. Every single person that was up on that stage would be considered by many as the elect. You know what I'm saying? Somewhat among us. And the moment that you take somebody and you put them up on a stage in a church or in front of the world, like what happened this past weekend, then immediately what you're doing is you're pointing the body of Christ toward those people. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. And during this, uh, the, all the different sessions and the, everything that took place this past weekend, and you could go online and you can watch it, there was so much good that came forth. But my question is, out of all the people that were up there, the singers, those who prayed, those who exhorted, slash preached, okay, what's going on away from that platform? And I apologize if it sounds like that I'm just a little too suspicious, because I don't mean to be that way, but I'm concerned. What is going on away from that platform? Is it really good? Or is it not? Are all of those people that were involved on the platform, are they people that we should look to? Well, quite honestly, I don't know. I didn't watch it all. I just know there were a lot of people who were participators and what you might uh, refer to them as, as facilitators in everything that happened. 
So I really don't know how to respond. If you were to come to me and say, well, what about so-and-so because he was up there or she was up there? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know that anybody who was on the, the stage that day is somebody that I really know enough about to say yes. That, is, that person, yes. Amen. I don't know. But I want you to see something here. What's going on? And where we have come in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now it says here, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Except ye be circumcised, ye cannot be saved. Okay, these are Christians. Because if they weren't Christians, they wouldn't be telling people about being saved. You understand this? When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. In other words, it got a little heated. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. This is so critical. Because it didn't matter who Paul was. Didn't matter who Barnabas was. Didn't matter Paul's testimony. Didn't matter how many signs, wonders, and miracles had taken place in Paul's ministry. His word wasn't good enough. In spite of the fact that he at one time had been, you know, super Jew. I mean, this guy was highly esteemed among the Jews. Didn't matter to them. They said, no... We want you to go to Jerusalem, meet with the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought, verse 3, on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now, <laughs> I find it interesting that they're still referred to as Pharisees. But, okay, let, let's extend some grace. A sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Well, that sounds like Pharisees, you know. <laughs> and the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. Okay, now where it says elders... This is not a ministry calling. This is talking about people who are spiritually mature. So, because this whole thing of elders, that has been so twisted and, and really messed up in the body of Christ that now you have people, I am ordained as an elder. And a lot of churches do this. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Because elder is not a ministry calling. So, and, and let's move on here. I just want to clarify that as we continue. And when there had been much disputing, <laughs> in other words, the whole bunch of them, you know, yes, they need to be. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. 
and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. The point they're making here in this is that these Gentiles, they didn't know anything about the law of Moses, and they definitely weren't circumcised. And look what happened. Look how God was moving. How can we backtrack and say you can't get this unless you're circumcised and keep the law when they already got it? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Well, verse 13, And after they had held their peace, James answered, as a brother of Jesus, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take them out to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them. My sentence, James, the brother of Jesus, is everybody's had their time. Now here's James, like a judge. And he says, my sentence, my decree, is that we trouble not them, the Gentiles, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them, that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Now what he's talking about here in verse 20, abstain pollution from idols, fornication, we know that, but things strangled and from blood. He's making a really super brief reference to pagan rituals performed for other gods. You know, stay away from this. Don't, don't, you can't be involved in this in any way. Well, verse 22, Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare you well." 
So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which, when they read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were uh, let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So what's happened is this. There was this this big to-do about, well, if the Gentiles want to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, then they have to be circumcised and they have to keep the law. And Paul and Barnabas were saying, well, no, they don't. And oh, yes, they do. And so they go to Jerusalem, they have this big meeting. And everybody's stating their case, including those of the Pharisees. But after everybody is stating their case and explaining their perspective, James says, it is my sentence. In other words, guys, pay close attention to everything that's been said and what's happened. You can't tell the Gentiles they can't have what they've already got if they don't keep the law. So therefore, they don't have to keep the law. They don't have to do this. And then in verse 22, it says, well, everybody was pleased with this. It was settled. And so Paul and Barnabas, along with Judas, Silas, and then there were some others that went with them. Now, why did Judas, Silas, and others go with them? Because when Paul and Barnabas returned back to Antioch, and they stood up and said, okay, look, we went, we had the meeting, and and those people there, they said, it's okay. And the folks there in Antioch could have said, no, 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 we ain't falling for that. And then uh, the other guys, Silas and all these others, could have said, oh, no, listen, we're from Jerusalem. We were there. And we know what was said. Not only that, but here, look, we have a declaration of independence. <laughs> and they read it, and everybody's like, oh, wow, okay, praise God, this is wonderful. This is really good. Now, if you look in verse 22, it says that it pleased the apostles, the elders, the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, with Paul and Barnabas. Then if you look in verse 30, it says, So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. Okay, why Antioch? Well, because if you look in chapter 14, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and we're picking up in the middle here, um, and had uh, taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must go through much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, again, that that is not ordained as what we think they appointed. We want you to be, you're mature in the Lord, so we're appointing you to to, uh, uh, oversee this group here and that group there. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and thence sailed to Antioch, from which they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how that... He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. In other words, they went back to Antioch because Antioch is where all this problem started. Antioch is where this this dispute arose as to whether or not the Gentiles 
had to keep the law. Now notice in chapter 15, verse 24. For as much as we have heard that certain went, went out from us, which have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, you must be circumcised to keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Does that sound at all familiar? Look over in 1 John. 1 John. And then here in 1 John, chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Then jump down to verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So in other words, what he's saying here is there are people that went out from us and they're telling you that we sent them forth. But if we had really sent them forth, they would still be preaching the same things that we're preaching, but they're not. They're preaching something that will be deceiving to you. And then back here in Acts chapter 15, it's the same thing. He says, look, (laughs) there are certain that went out from us and they've troubled you with words subverting, undermining your souls, your faith, what you believe, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. We didn't send them. They're not from us. We never gave that commandment. In fact, what we're sharing with you is just the opposite. Now, here's the problem. When they had this meeting there in Acts chapter 15, everybody's stating their position, and these were the, like, the leaders of the church, if you will. And then James said, it is my sentence that th- this is the way it is. This is the way God wants it. And then a letter went out establishing what God wants. This is what we do not have in the church today. There is no recognized authority in the church. There is absolutely no submission to genuine authority in the church. Now there is from church to church, from denomination to denomination, but not what we see here in Acts chapter 15. There's no way you're going to get the leadership of, of, of a Baptist church come into submission to somebody who's a part of the Nazarene denomination. Nobody in a Methodist church is going to come into submission to the leadership in a Pentecostal church. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not going to happen. They will submit to whoever's in their organizational structure. But as far as the body of Christ is concerned, no, absolutely not. They will not submit. This is why we have so much division and so many problems in the body of Christ. There's no true recognition of authority. And then it brings up a question, you know, well, (laughs) what kind of person would there be? You know, well, fine. You see the description in Scripture. When you find people that meet this, those are people who should be in authority. They're not going to try to run your life It's like the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we're not going to try and dominate your faith. We are helpers of your joy. But it doesn't exist in the body of Christ, and that is, quite frankly, maybe the biggest problem in the body of Christ right now. Because you can take some churches, huge churches, and have somebody come in here and say, look, (laughs) 
Just because you're born again, the grace of God is not going to make allowance for you to continue living in sins that are described here in Scripture. Those churches will throw you out. They will refute you. You just don't understand. No, the truth is I do understand. How, do you, how are you going to rectify what you see in Scripture? I mean, what are you going to do with this? Well, it doesn't really mean it the way that you think it means it. What it, it means, and, and on and on it goes. There is no authority. Look over in Genesis chapter 2. And this is where it all started. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord took the man, Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Then in chapter 3, Verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, I mean, that sounds like some prophet. Now, yay, <laughs> yay, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now stop right there. You know where it says serpent? I'll guarantee you that right there is not talking about what we now see as a serpent. Right, look. You ever see these pictures of these people that's like they're in love with boa constrictors? Is that? I don't care, man. That's weird. And if that's you, don't ever invite me to your house. I'm not playing with your snake. That's, honestly, that is this plain. I saw, I saw this picture one time of these people. They had their pet boa constrictor. I mean, we're not talking a little bitty baby boa. We're talking like a boa constrictor in the crib with the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some weirdos out there in the world. I guarantee you, normal people have an aversion to snakes. All right? Now, I know some people, they have to, like animal people. I get that. They zoo people and so forth. But normally, most folks, when they see a snake, they kind of move the other direction. <laughs> Rapidly. <laughs> so, this thing about the serpent... It wasn't what we now know as a serpent. Well, it says, you know, as God said, you can't eat of every tree. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now you realize, this is a synopsis of what happened there. And the thing is, you shall be as gods. They already were. Didn't God say, I'm going to make you in my image and my likeness? Yeah, okay, so they already were there. But now if you look over here in verse 17. And unto Adam, God said, this is, it's judgment time now, okay? Unto Adam, God said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And it continues on. All right, so what do we see here? God did not, what was God's biggest beef? 
with Adam. It wasn't that he ate. It was who he listened to. You see that? Look at this, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast eaten of the tree. Alright, see that? That leaves out a bunch. (laughs) Because you hearkened to the voice of your wife and ate. If you leave that, hearken to the voice of... Now, don't get off on that. That's why women shouldn't be preachers. No, don't do... (laughs) No, don't go there. All right? He listened... What did his wife... He listened to the voice of his wife. Okay? There's nothing in verses 1 through 6 that says she turned to Adam and had a conversation. That's why I said verses 1 through 6 is it's a synopsis. She turned to him and she spoke to him. Adam, it's okay, you can eat this, look at me, I'm not dead. And I tell you, Adam, this is really good stuff. And a lot of people say, you know, it was an apple. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that. Whatever it was. But, he ate because of what his wife said. Now here's the the, the order of events. The serpent spoke to Eve. Eve received what the serpent said and made it her doctrine. And she ate. Then she turned to her husband and declared unto him the doctrine she heard from the serpent and presented the fruit to him. He heard what she said And at that moment, he had a choice. To eat or not to eat? That is the question. (laughs) He ate. He ate. He listened. Now, what's happened in his life? On the one hand, he's heard the voice of God say, here's what you can and can't do. On the other hand, he heard the voice of his wife say what the serpent told his wife, and she said, eat. And so now, what am I going to do? Well, he chose to eat. And God said, because you hearken to the voice of your wife. Who hearkened to the voice of the serpent. Now turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And you're going to see, I'm, I'm going to be showing you here the New Testament parallel to this. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. See that? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is exactly what happened to Eve. She gave heed to a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devils. You know, to use that phrase. And then, look over in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables, myths. So what are we seeing here? What we're seeing is the first Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 people, they're the ones that are hearing the message from the seducing spirits, that become messages, the doctrines of devils, 
then they turn around and deliver it to the Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 people, who would represent Adam, if you will. And they hear this, and they turn away from the truth, turn unto fables. They, they begin to heap unto themselves these people who have listened to the voice of the serpent. And then they turn around and deliver what they've heard from the serpent. Now remember, if you go, you don't turn back to it, but Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the serpent made reference to God. In fact, he even made reference to what God said. But he twisted words. You understand what I'm saying? And this is the same thing we have here, the seducing spirits, the doctrines of devils. It isn't that these people don't know the word of God. They turn from the truth. In other words, they, they begin to accept and embrace a message of eat this fruit. It's okay. And then they turn around and they present it to people and they say, here, let us tell you everything, this, what you can, how it's okay, etc. and so forth. And the people hear this. And because, what, what did Eve say? She saw... Uh, or, or what it says that she saw that the tree was good for fruit, pleasant to the eyes. In other words, appealing to the flesh. Same thing here, Second Timothy chapter four, verses three for three and four, appealing to the flesh, giving heed to the teaching that's coming from the voices that the serpent is using. Now look over in Isaiah twenty-eight. In Isaiah twenty-eight. Here's what's going on with those 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 preachers, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In Isaiah 28, verse 7, But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink, are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. What's the strong drink? It's symbolic of doctrine that intoxicates their senses, sears their conscience to truth, and then they turn around and they deliver it. Look what he says. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Stumble in discernment between right and wrong. Truth and a lie. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness. The word filthiness means dung. So that there is no place clean. In other words, here's what they're doing. They hear the message from the, the seducing spirits. that becomes doctrines of devils. And then they present what they call the table of the Lord. And they say, here, you can eat this. Here, this is good for you. It's good spiritual nourishment. It's all right. And God says, no, you don't understand. From my, from my perspective, what I'm seeing is you have set my table with food that is actually vomit and filthiness. Dung, excrement. And God is saying, this is what I'm seeing my people eat. Because that's what you're serving up to these people. Look over in, um, in Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. Now let's take a look at what God has to say about all this. In verse 1, God says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. 
You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited or have not properly ministered to them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. Now look at this where he says you've driven them away. He's not saying you're you're driving them out of the church. He said you're driving them away from me. You're driving them away from my presence. If you look in verse 11, for both the prophet and the priest are profane. Yea, in my house I have found their wickedness, saith the Lord. In my house, in my house, in the church. This is extremely prophetic. In the church I've seen their wickedness. Wherefore their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem, a horrible thing. They commit adultery. He's not saying they're committing physical adultery. He's saying they're listening to another God. They're listening to other voices and not my voice. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers. How do you strengthen the hands of evildoers? By telling them that the evil they do is okay. You're, you're emphasizing that it's permissible to do these things. Strengthen the hands of evildoers that none that doth return from his wickedness, they are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Now, he talks about the prophets of Jerusalem. Why, why is that? It's symbolic. Because... The imagery is, if it's a prophet that's come from Jerusalem, then it's a prophet that must know what he's talking about. That's the city of God. So if you've come from Jerusalem, what you say must be true. And God is saying, you're listening to people that say, figure of speech, I have come from Jerusalem with a message from God. What I'm telling you is truth. And God is saying, no, it is profaneness that's gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of God. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil or judgment shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? So what God is saying here in verse 18 is like, okay, you know, you're hearing all of this, but to those of you who are giving heed to these priests and these profane prophets, I want to ask you something. Which one of them has stood before me and received my counsel? You tell me which one of them has come before my court. You tell me which one of them has heard my word. Well, the problem is, if you can't discern the difference, you don't know who's been before God and who hasn't been before God. Now look over, and we're coming back here to Jeremiah 23 in just a moment, but look over in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3. In Jeremiah chapter 3, we're going to pick this up in um, verse 11. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. 
Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel with the Lord, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, and I will make you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with the knowledge and understanding. Right here, what we just read, this is what's going on now within the body of Christ. The call is going out. Repent. Come back to God. Turn from all this foolishness. Turn from your lack of holiness. Turn from your sin. Repent and make it right unto God. And when you do, God says He is going to give you pastors according to His His heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And if you look back over in Jeremiah 23, in verse 3, He says, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whether I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase, and I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. God is saying, if you will listen to me, and you will repent, if you will, now listen to this, turn away from those who have not truly spent time at my altar, have not truly spent time in my presence, received my word, if you will repent from all that stuff that they have delivered unto you and truly seek me and truly come unto me, then I will lead you to a place where there are shepherds and pastors established. They're going to deliver to you my truth uncompromised and they will feed you what you need to hear. They're not going to feed you with vomit. They're not going to feed you with dung. They will feed you that which is going to build you up spiritually to become a reflection of the image of Jesus Christ. Now look over here. In um, in second second uh, Timothy chapter three, these pastors that he's talking about, what are they going to do? Second Timothy three verse sixteen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. These are the pastors that God is going to send these people to. They're going to stand up and they're going to deliver, to deliver the word without compromise. The problem we have in the body of Christ, there is no recognized authority to bring correction to wrong doctrine. Just like uh, what we read earlier over there in the uh, book of Acts, you had this bunch here, they're saying you've got to be circumcised to keep the law. And the other bunch over here said, no, you don't. They came together and they recognized the voice of authority in the church and they submitted to it and changed their doctrine to line up with what God has a- had established. Try and find that today. It's not happening. And, and listen, it's not going to happen. That's why God said, back over there in Jeremiah, He says, I'll bring my remnant. Because there's only a remnant. There's a lot of people going to make it to heaven. 
but they're going to be in the pond or they're going to start swimming in the wrong direction, just won't go too far. But only a remnant is going to be swimming in that direction of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And God said, that, that remnant right there is the remnant I'm going to be able to use. Now let me, let me read to you again, Jeremiah 23, verse 18. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard His word? Who hath marked His word and heard it? Who? See, if an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher does not teach what the New Testament apostles taught, they have not stood in the counsel of the Lord or perceived and heard His Word. That's as simple as that. If they're not teaching what you find recorded here in Scripture, then they have not stood in the counsel of God. And if they've heard something that contradicts what they have taught, then they have a choice. Just like Adam had a choice. Here's the thing. You can't say you trust God if you don't believe the Bible. There's no way. So when a preacher stands up and says, you know, I trust God, but then they teach you something that contradicts, they don't trust God. Because if they truly trusted God, they would adjust their doctrine to line up with what God has said in His Word. Look, there are people out there right now, I know, that, let's just say it like this. There may be a lot of people out there who listen to me by way of the internet, and they're in churches they shouldn't be in. But it's hard for them to leave because of the emotional attachment. Well, you know what I say to that? You better pray. And if you're... God, He says He's going to give you a pastor after His own heart. He'll lead you where you need to be. Now what this comes down to is this. Look over in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. What it comes down to is this. What are you eating? What are you eating? Because you've got preachers out there that have listened to the voice of the serpent and then they're presenting to you fruit that they're going to tell you is sweet and delicious, good to eat, and good for you. But then you've got the Word of God that says, don't you be eating that. Because, now listen, in the day you eat thereof, what? You're going to die. You're going to die. So, what are you eating? See, you can hear it. Adam heard it, but he didn't have to eat. You can hear this. The, 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 the voices of the preachers who've been influenced by seducing spirits, you can hear it, but you better watch out that you don't eat it. What does that mean? It means to accept it as spiritual nourishment and apply it to your life. That's eating it. Because the moment you do, you are headed towards spiritual death and eternal separation from God. It is a path. See, here's what's interesting. I've wondered, what would have happened if Adam had stood there and Eve, she eats, and then she turns to him and says, well, you know, you can eat this and then repeats the doctrine that she's heard. If he'd have said, are you nuts? The Lord God has said, we shall not eat of that tree. And I am not going to eat of that tree. And I don't care what you say. Why are you listening to that thing anyhow? I've wondered, what would have happened if he had done that? I don't know. That's one of those, put it on your list to ask God when you get to heaven. <laughs> 
Hebrews chapter 5. Look here. Verse 12. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age, even those who by reason of use, reason of use what? Reason of use of the word of God have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's, that good and evil is not talking about what is and is not sin. That good and evil is talking about good and evil doctrine. Good and evil teaching. So here's the thing. What are you eating? And this is why I emphasize so much. You've got to get into the Word. You've got to get into the Word and you've got to pray in tongues. Because those two right there are going to help provide you with the discernment that you need to be able to pick up on what is and is not right. This is why I said at the beginning, all the people that were on the stage this past weekend at that major event, I don't know if away from that event there are people that we should give heed to. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. And if you watch any of that event and you see some of these people and you think, man, that person, yeah, boy, that sounded good. Man, I'm going to listen to more of that person. I'm not saying don't. What I'm saying is you had better be at a place of discernment. You had better be, you have your senses exercised through the Word, through praying in the Spirit, to be able to determine if what you hear beyond that event is something that is going to be good for you, or if it's a table of vomit and dung. Guard your heart. I'm not saying that events like that should not take place. They need to take place. But what I'm saying is this. You know, there was a song by a particular rock group. Um, I used to listen to them years ago. Wasn't a big fan. It was Led Zeppelin. And that song, Stairway to Heaven, there's a lady who thinks all that glitters is gold. She thinks all that glitters is gold. You may hear a lot of messages that glitter like they're gold. But you better be sure And the only way to know is through the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do not eat that which will bring about spiritual death. Have your senses ready to discern everything that you hear from everybody who speaks it. Praise the Lord.